Welcome to this week's episode of Heads Up, a show about mental health wellness. I'm retired counselor Sue Mullen, and with me today is my co-host, Diane Vaccarello, a licensed family and mental health therapist. Hi, Diane. Hi, Sue. Long time no see. Yep. Welcome back to part two. Uh, this week, we are talking about perfectionism. Mm -hmm. which I think is a topic that has generated a lot of conversation, certainly between the two of us. For sure. And, uh, and I think uh, uh, among our friends and family in general. Mm -hmm. So let me start by telling you that for the very first time in my life, when I went to a Zoom world, mm -hmm. I realized that I've got this wrinkle here on, my, on the, <laughs> at the base of my neck that if, yeah. if I sit just right, it looks like I was de decapitated, <laughs> my head reattached. Oh, I would never have noticed that. And I'm telling you this up. because I am willing to admit to our viewing audience <laughs> that for the briefest of moments, I thought to myself, oh, I really need to put something around my neck to get rid of that line that seems to yeah. sit right. And I thought, for God's sakes, you're 65 years old. You don't need to get rid of an age-related line on your neck. You don't have to be those women who wear scarves all the time. Uh, you and know, that I love that you just actually shared that. It ties in so nicely to what we're saying. So how do you feel being on camera, exposing your, your line right I, now? I, I, feel, I, I feel okay about it. I, yeah. I feel all right about it because I... Um, I have new empathy for the women that wear scarves around their necks. Mm -hmm. I also want to um, let them in on a little secret that when you wear a scarf around your neck all the time, everybody knows that there's a wrinkle <laughs> under there. Uh, and busted. yeah, busted, exactly. And I am just proud to take that mantle off and go with it uh, to the best of my ability. So it sounds like you've come into acceptance, which is a very important thing for us to be able to, um, when something is really bumping up against us, yep. can we change it? Is, you know, do we own it? Yeah, you own it, it's on your neck. Can you change it? Not really. You can cover it up if you choose, deciding what you can do, what you can't do about it, and ultimately accepting it will bring you peace. So right. the funny part about this is I am a super scarf wearer since I've been in oh. college. <laughs> so right. I, and you have a great neck. Right. But I'm just saying, so part of it, it really is like I have tried to lay back off of the scarves a little bit because I tend to have many, many, many layers on. I'm always cold. But the, the thing is, is that, you know, whether it's getting a gray hair or whatever the case may be. Part of it is also the reframe that we do for ourselves mm -hmm. or for someone else, which doesn't hurt, right? When you can, you know, for me, the idea of getting a gray hair, which I, I honestly am looking for in many ways, because when I get gray hairs and when I have a head of gray hair, I don't know if I'll have a whole head, but um, to me, it's like, I do try and shift things in perspective and reframe it. And I say, if I have gray hairs, 
that means I got to live a long life. And if someone passes away and they've never, you know, I just feel honestly, genuinely appreciative that I have the chance to grow old. I would choose that any day, you know? Um, And so I just, I feel like it's the way that we frame things for ourselves too. And so I love that you're like, this is the age that I am. This is what happens to skin and accepting it. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I would describe myself as being an adaptive perfectionist, perhaps based upon my observation. Yep. Uh, as opposed to being maladaptive. Now, I'm not accusing that. anybody that puts a scarf on because they're uncomfortable with their neck. Please understand yeah, that yeah. this uh, segment was meant to poke fun at myself, not at anybody else, mm-hmm. because I think we all have to make determinations, right, about what works for us. We do. And we have to sink into those things and give ourselves time not make it like so urgent, but just give ourselves time to say, you know, how am I thinking and feeling about this? And what do I want to accept? And what do I not want to accept? Somebody may not want to accept that. And they have within their means or range or whatever to do something different about it. And that's why I brought that up. You have to really decide for yourself, what can I do about this? If there is something, how much do I care about this? And if it's high up on that scale and you can do something about it, that's fantastic, right? That's a choice we all get to make. And the more we are able and supported to make our own individual choices in these matters, but what we care about the most, and if we actually have control over that, we live a much happier life. We can accept all sorts of things. um, And we can decide what is on that scale of one to 10, anything under five, let's just lop that off. Let's just say, don't put energy into that. If it's something we can't control, don't put energy into that. The thing with perfectionism, because that's what we're talking about today, is that people will try and put energy into things they can't control Mm -hmm. and run themselves down at a sort of subconscious level and constantly be feeling like they never get the satisfaction of, you know, above a five and focusing on what they can control. And control is a major issue. We were talking about across the lifespan Mm-hmm. And so I think it would be good. I don't know if you have a specific question about the across the lifespan, like with kids, with adults, with yeah, I, I actually older do. population. I, I do. And I want to start with uh, the youngest among us. Yes. Um, I hear parents and grandparents talk about the five-year-old that uh, tantrums when they can't do something perfectly. Yeah. So what has happened in those five little years that puts Mm -hmm. somebody in a position where they are unwilling to do things or they get so frustrated so fast? Frustrated is the word because it is frustrating when we try to do things and we can't accomplish them. We can become frustrated, especially kids who struggle with at one to five age Um, may not be as verbal as other kids. So they have a frustration that they can't express what the experience is like for them um, per se. And so they just sort of um, start to learn that, uh, you know, this is what I want you to do. And maybe like, oh, I think you can do that. Try, you know, try harder is not a bad thing to say. Um, It's just that we have to be careful that we're not setting an expectation for a child. Again, the goal can't be too far ahead for them or they'll get Mm -hmm. frustrated. They'll get discouraged. They won't want to try and do that thing. Or they'll try so hard because they have that kind of intrinsic trait in them or that um, motivation in them to sort of like really be 
very good or pleasing. And so they will try really hard, um, but it means they have to keep trying hard in order to get that parent's attention or that grandparent's attention. Um, we have this tendency sometimes to put kids on a stage too early. Mm -hmm. And we there's a very distinct difference between praise and encouragement that really sets us up for this perfectionistic thing. If we're constantly praising kids and saying, you are such an amazing artist, or you're so good at playing that violin, you wouldn't think that's a bad thing to say as an adult. But I sort of cringe when I hear things like that. When I hear somebody say, you are so, so amazing and good at that. Well, what happens if they don't end up hearing that? Does that mean they fall from that pedestal? Well, even at five and older, we are thinking about things like that. It sounds very different to approach a child and say, the colors that you used in that picture, how did you choose what colors to use? How did you decide what to draw? That's focusing on the process, mm -hmm. not the content or the outcome, um, which is the outcome is the goal or the grade later on, or the, the yeah. do you hit that target at work and get that salary boost, you know, um, we're talking about process with kids, healthy, focusing on the outcome, not so healthy. And I would imagine, Diane, uh, that it's pretty important to, uh, I hear what you're saying about setting your expectations close enough to the child age-wise that they're able to meet those expectations right? because that builds confidence. It does. Yeah. How, how important is it to share with your own child your vulnerabilities, your oh. frustrations, uh, you know, sort of where you feel that you have failed? How, how important is that? Super important because we have to really um, create a space or a culture for that child growing up that shows um, we are not perfect, we are imperfect, and that it's not possible to achieve perfection, that you will still be accepted. I still love you, you know, like I love you and I want you to go out into this world and try things. It's just about trying things. It's about showing up. It's, you know, so if we don't show that we're, um, if we show that we're perfect, kids are going to think that's what they need to do. That's what they need to strive for. And if they don't achieve those milestones or, or achievements, which they're five, six, seven, right? We're whatever age, there's no way they're going to do it like we do it. Mm -hmm. So we're not wanting to set that up for them, but we really do want to encourage them. We want to support them to try new things. We want to support them to take risks, mini risks in life, not big, big ones. That's too scary, but mini ones um, so that we can say, you know what, that you gave it your all. Like I saw that you really worked hard okay. and tried. And that's the kind of thing they end up focusing on is what their capabilities are. And helping them the and helping them identify maybe their own feelings by acknowledging when we're with them. Wow, I felt a little embarrassed about that. I oh, felt yeah. nervous about that. Wow, I'm disappointed. I hoped that this was going to happen. And then this is what really happened. Uh, Right. Without breaking their uh, future curiosity, we want to be able to address that we all have human emotions and core emotions, right? Anger and sadness and disgust. And um, have you seen the movie Inside Out? Have you ever yes. seen that Disney? Yeah. It's so good because yeah. it shows how our core emotions are all there and on board. Usually we have one that's a little bit stronger than another by nature. Mm -hmm. um, but that as we get older, we have mixed emotions around things and we need to be able to, you know, express that. 
But ultimately, one of, um, I think it was Jessica Leahy uh, presented in one of her books, uh, The Fear of Failure. Mm -hmm. She spoke about the, I think she's the one who spoke about the rose and the bud and the thorn. So that's one thing you can do when you're talking with little kids um, at the, at your, at dinner time or whenever in the car, what was your like thorn today? What was the not good thing that happened? You know, the vulnerability, we can share our rose and bud and thorn, the rose being the, the good thing that happened and the bud, the thing you're looking forward to, right? And so you can talk about it in developmentally appropriate ways where you really, there are thorns. Mm -hmm. We're not going to pretend like there's not thorns and we're not going to act as if we don't have thorns. We're just going to bring it up so we can say what we did about that situation. Even if we didn't feel great about it, we can share that. Um, but that's being transparent, it's being real, and it helps a child to grow in a culture where um, they don't have that pressure of performance, so to speak, or being on a stage. Oh, you know, grandma comes over, oh, I heard, you know, you're playing the violin, can you show me what you're learning? Right. And then they bring their friend over to see what that person's learning. Maybe the child is really excited to do that and happy. Maybe they actually are like, I'm not playing the violin to make you feel good, right? I just want to play the violin. We have right. to know our children well enough to know what is going to actually um, support and encourage them and what is going to pull them back mm -hmm. away from these things. So, uh, so Diane, at, so at five, we're, we're talking about how to lay the foundation for helping kids manage their feelings about their own performance. Right. Let's fast forward for a minute to 14. I can tell you with absolute certainty that most 14-year-olds are most worried about how they look. Exactly. Uh, I, I mean, they may be doing their homework and they may be pretty good on the soccer field or playing the violin, but the thing that they are most concerned about is how they look. Right. So what do we do with a, a child who's probably at their most awkward stage of development mm -hmm. to help them manage the fact that they are a work in progress? So um, the earlier stages also support this. So again, we're, you know, we're developing and supporting children to become fully functioning adults and, you know, adults mm -hmm. that have satisfying lives. So we do want to teach sort of um, the idea that in this age and stage of adolescence, the idea is trying to figure out who you are and what you are and what you like. So it's trying on all sorts of things. I think today's teenagers, um, for the most part, if there's somebody who doesn't feel secure with mm -hmm. sort of like um, their environment and feel accepted in their environment at home, for example, right, where the climate might be, um, Sure, try that. See what you think, right? It's again mm -hmm. that ability to take risks um, and not have a super critical environment where um, if they try something, they get sort of like hit for that or blah, not hit literally, but emotionally, right? That they, they kind of get yeah. um, like some pushback from that criticism. Um, if you can create a, a, an environment that's comfortable for them to try different things on and encourage, yeah, see what you think. You might not like it but you might like it. That allows them to um, really put themselves out there a little bit more, which is dangerous, right? In today's times, we have social media that can be actually pretty um, cruel, right? With comments, and that can be really difficult. 
um, all of them are opportunities to teach them how to respond internally and externally to those scenarios. But ultimately, um, we can't try as a, we really don't want to create a homogenous grouping of kids. I see more and more kids who want to wear plain clothes, blend in. It's almost like a uniform they wear. Um, they really don't want to stand out because in that age, it's scary, you know, but it's also their right. job to start figuring out how to stand out. Some yep. kids do it sort of almost effortlessly a little bit more than others. Um, and so it's important that we say, okay, if this is what, what you're needing at this point in time, but why are you doing it? We mm -hmm. need to really increase the self-awareness of why are you making that choice? And a lot of times they can say, I don't want to stand out. And so right. then that gives you a chance to talk about, well, what does that mean? You know, but yeah, they need to understand why they're doing what they're doing. So in terms of um, weight, acne, mm. eyeglasses, uh, height yeah. or lack of it, um, when should parents be, when and how should parents be laying the building blocks for making it okay to be just the way you are? Well, that goes back to our Im impossibly perfect. perfect, right? We can't be. And so we're going to get blemishes. Most people get blemishes, you know, and there's certain things again, that we can control and not control about that, um, that we're not, you know, what do we have control or our height? Like do, you know, at some point we have to really, um, talk about how is height going to define you, you know, but some people, um, I know one person that, uh, um, made a comment. It, basically, I've never seen them as short or small, never has entered my mind. And yet on the continuum of height, they actually are, according to, you know, the percentile mm -hmm. on the shorter side, but they have an energy about them that's definitely tall or big, right, right, right. Big, right. And right. so it's, yeah. it's sort of um, talking about, um, um, the, a person's personality and energy and what they bring to the room or to a relationship and not worrying so much and focusing so much on things that they can't control. And it's hard as a teenager. There's so maybe, much coming at them. Introducing things like eating well, getting enough sleep, being physically active, looking for balance as opposed to perfection. Uh, maybe is it ever too young to start talking about all of those things? No, it, it's never too, um, you know, late either to, to do that. So we need to do that as early as possible and as much as possible and really show that, again, it's, those are all things that we can control, our eating choices and what's healthy for us, being a well-balanced human being socially, emotionally, mentally, and physically. Um, and really um, including all of those characteristics. But we just know that there are certain things kids are gonna go through. It's a tough time going through adolescence. We need to give them a little bit of like understanding and empathy around the idea. This is hard. It's gonna, you know, that when you have a zit sitting right here and you're worried already about how you look, I can understand why that's coming up for you right now, walking right. into that space. What are our options? What are your options, right? How do you wanna handle that? and really be encouraging and that it's going to be okay. And you know, that basically people aren't going to, if they judge them, they're going through something, right? 
on their right. own. And so we have to help them understand why other people might judge or say something that they say so that they can decide, I'm going to separate myself out from that a bit more. We could, uh, we could actually do probably a whole episode on uh, how people react to each other. Yeah. How, how people, what people say to one another. And why. And why, yeah. right. Uh, yeah, and maybe, maybe we will down the line. I, I, I do want to ask uh, one more specific question and let you uh, sort of elaborate on it mm. a little bit. Um, we had a viewer write in and ask uh, us to do a segment on why she can't say no. Oh, interesting. I, I thought about it through the perfectionism lens, and I'm wondering what your initial response would be to why can't somebody say no? Most of the time it's because they don't want to hurt a person's feelings and they don't want to, um, again, not be included mm -hmm. in a sense. Um, they want to have that person ask them again. You mm -hmm. know, they don't want to miss out. But at the same time, they might really genuinely feel like they don't want to do that thing or they can't in that moment. And it's hard to, to, to do anything that goes against somebody turning toward you, mm -hmm. you know, an invitation and to feel like you're turning away from them is the false belief. I think that's attached to saying, no, we're not so, turning away from somebody else. We're turning toward ourselves. So fear of disappointing someone else. Sure. Fear of disappointing them, not pleasing them, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, basically not rising to the occasion for them. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say most of the time it's because of a working really hard to please the other person. Okay. And I wonder um, myself, like sort of what the internal, your internal dialogue is when you're in a situation yeah. where you have to say no. Uh, because I know for a lot of people saying no is uh, akin to admitting to not being able to do something, mm. not being willing to do something, mm -hmm. uh, not having the know-how to do something. Right. And all of those things put us in a position, right, where we're, where we're saying we're not perfect. Right. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I don't, I can't do it because I can't. And psychologically, you know, the perfectionistic part or, you know, can be about the saying, not wanting to say no, but perfectionism, perfectionism in and of itself, the psychological fear that's underlying that is not being accepted. So that's what sends the drive really sky high to keep being perfect, perfect, right? And keep pushing this, um, uh, this performance to uh, the next level. Because if we back off from that, if we don't do what a person knows that we can do, or that they that's how they view us as very highly capable or whatever, um, that will disappoint them or that they won't like us honestly as much because they've been liking us this way for right. so long if I stop and I you know they're used to me saying yes all the time what is going to happen if I say no same as going right back to being a teenager and saying what happens if they don't say yes yeah I'm reminded uh I'm reminded about something that you said in the episode that we did about being your authentic self mm -hmm. that a lot of people struggle with the idea that if people really knew who they were yeah that they, they wouldn't like them or the they imposter syndrome them. yeah 
Yeah, and I would imagine that that must feed into perfectionism as well, you know, that sure. uh, I have to maintain this standard because yeah. if people really knew, you know, what, what a klutz I am or whatever, right. that they wouldn't think as highly of me. But again, that goes to the self-talk. A lot of times perfectionists, perfectionists are self-critical mm -hmm. and sometimes that self-criticism extends out to other people and um, sometimes, you know, sometimes it flips, but most of the time it's with oneself, especially if they're a very self-driven perfectionist. And so we have to change our um, self-talk and be mm -hmm. a little bit more looking for the positive things, not just what we're not accomplishing. Right. We have to counteract oh, turning the dialogue around. The dial yeah, exactly. That's how you counteract these things. It's with different thoughts, different conversation with yourself, maybe even with others and really tending to things that are working well, not just the things that you're not that you're failing at or that you're not achieving. And therefore, that's why perfectionism and procrastination goes hand in hand. You just want to delay that sense of possibly failing. Right, right. Okay, yeah, well spoken. Um, we have about three or so minutes left in our broadcast this morning. Uh, what are what are our takeaways? What what do you want people to think about most specifically when they think about being perfectionistic? One that it's not achievable to be perfect. It's okay to have standards. Um, I'd like to encourage uh, whether you're raising children or focusing on your own self and your own wellness. Um, to be less critical, more encouraging, allow for um, an open-mindedness around trying new things, challenging yourself in that area where you can lean into some discomfort and actually come out the other side and realize the world isn't going to fall apart, that you can, when you're really um, persev perseverating on one certain thing or pattern, mm -hmm. break it up, try something new, interrupt it a little bit and realize that you, you can do it. We want to basically have that kind of messaging to ourselves and to others that give it a try, take on something because you want to. And if you want to, and you're open-minded, see what happens. Let's not yeah. tie ourselves to the outcome. Yeah. It's interesting. My mother used to say to us uh, as kids, when you feel the worst about yourself, go help someone else. Yeah. I love it. And, uh, and that became sort of a mantra in our, in, in our household among my siblings and myself that, uh, yeah, if you're feeling, uh, she, sometimes she wasn't quite so kind. Sometimes she would say, when you're feeling sorry for yourself, go uh, help yeah. somebody else. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I think, you know, I think the, the tenet is still the same that if you can take your energies when you're feeling vulnerable and set realistic expectations for a way that you can make a difference, Yeah, then you're more likely to strive towards meeting those goals in a way mm -hmm. that uh, doesn't require Olympic skills or entry into Mensa or any yeah. of the things that we have come to measure our performance by. Right. Show, show some of your vulnerabilities. Show the line show your neck. neck. Right. Show your neck. Like, bring your neck like, out. Let like your neck just fly. bring it out and then feel how amazing it feels to have people accept you or not, which by the way, weed your garden if you need to, but you know, be um, allowing yourself to do that and then realize you are okay the way you are. Perfect. Yeah.
that's a perfect way, Diane, for us to end our episode. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure uh, we can even tell the viewing audience what our next episode is going to be about. So uh, that element of surprise hopefully will entice people to tune in uh, to episode 10. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wish you the best of the rest of the week. And I hope to see you again soon. Thanks, Sue. I wish you good enough. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Thank you <laughs> so much. See ya. Bye. You gotta keep your head